social emotional learning it's the new way where culturally responsive meets innovation Hey, Dominators. My name is Kristen Hopkins, CEO and founder of Dangers of the Mind, a company that identifies the attacks against your everyday thought life that shifts major progress. I'm a social emotional learning expert, curriculum developer, and social entrepreneur who believes in the holistic development of youth and young adults through culturally responsive and culturally affirming resources. Welcome to Dangers of the Mind. Hey guys, welcome to another Dangers of the Mind episode. I'm so excited that you join me because this episode is dear and near to my heart. Dangers of the Mind believes in shifting the narrative of high-risk students to high-promise stories through culturally responsive and affirming social and emotional learning resources. So y'all know I have a story to tell. I got a couple stories to tell today. But I remember when I started this work in 2016. Many people in my field were working directly with comprehensive schools, and SEL wasn't quite a thing people was invested in. I mean, DCPS was the first district that truly was bought in and sold on the impact of social and emotional learning and what it could do. Shout out to DCPS. Y'all right here are my peoples, and I love all y'all at DCPS. So this was the district that I received my first contract with. After two years of teaching my curriculum myself, from going to four sites, collecting data, training staff, and working with kids that were labeled quote-unquote high risk, because remember, we at Danger of Mind do not label our kids. And so these kids came to school when they felt like it. These kids came to school high <laughs> a lot of the time. And these kids came to school not wanting to focus. And then you might have had kids coming to school and leaving. But what I experienced was some of my kids were coming to school just for my program and leaving right afterward. That spoke volumes to me and the administration. But we knew we needed to make them actually come to school and stay. And we found solutions to do so. It was all about connecting them and building healthy relationships with the teachers so they felt like the teachers wanted them there and they felt like the teachers cared. So we measure on a lot of these things when it comes to our program to make sure that students feel connected with their teacher. I remember a student came in my class that didn't know me and found himself trying to cuss me out. And all my students stood up real quick about to go to war for me. That was a proud day for me, too, because it showed me that my relationships with my students were so solid that they wasn't going to let nothing happen to Miss Kristen. Another time wasn't so pretty. A girl finally decided to come to my class and she was acting normal. And she was normally like this pretty bubbly girl, but she was acting normal that day. And so I asked her when she spoke to me, you know, I asked her, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? And she kept saying, I'm fine, Miss Kristen. I'm fine. You don't want to know. I'm fine. So, you know, when you hear stuff like that from kids, you listen to them, but we also had to start class. So I told her, let's talk after class. She said, cool. I turned around to write something on the board and I just heard one of my other students saying, stop looking at me. And the student that told me she was fine came back and said, I could look at whoever I want to. Now, mind you, the student that I just saw that I'm talking about, she didn't come to school for like two weeks. So we didn't know what was her deal. And she just magically appears to class and she's like feeling some type of way. But I was just oblivious in my early years of trying to teach my curriculum that I'm just thinking, oh, she just happened to come to school and she's just going through a bad day. But she intentionally came to school because she knew what she was about to do next. 
So when she responded and said, I could look wherever I want to, the girl made a slick comment back and all I saw was my student running over and choking this girl out. And I literally turned around. Like, I mean, I saw it as fast as it happened. I turned around. I'm running across the room trying to get to her. And they are like fighting, y'all. I mean, like, I don't see some fights in my day, but I don't think I ever see something like this. And it was the first and only fight in my classroom, a dangerous in my class. But to this day, I still have trauma from that because I was like breaking it up. You know, I'm over here like I'm going to get hit a couple times because I just felt like y'all not going to fight in my classroom and I didn't want nobody to get hurt. And so normally there's like a behavior tech or someone in the room. And so I had to like hold it down for myself. But what was scary about that day was that all the kids in the classroom were like happy. Like I looked at all these kids around and they were like so excited to see a fight. And I'm like, when did it come about that we are happy to see black people fight in black people? Like when did it come about that it's like exciting to find people fighting each other? And it just blew my mind because I really want to know like when that was something that originated. Because I think that when I was growing up, there was a culture of fighting. You know, you like fight and everybody run towards the fight. Like one of my best friends in school, he used to always be like the one. Like they always be like, oh, there was a fight. Oh, go ask Chris because he going to know all the details because he always be the one right there in front of the fights. He don't be breaking the fights up, but he was just watching so he could report back live before like Instagram and social media was a thing. I remember that culture of being like, what happened with the fight? Or being like, oh my God. But I never accepted like it was cool to fight somebody. I never felt happy when people were fighting. It wasn't a good thing for me. I always was scared like somebody was really going to hurt themselves. Somebody was going to die. I was always thinking like these traumatic thoughts, right? So when I saw these kids so happy, it really burned in my spirit because I'm like, why are these kids? And it was almost like a spirit on these kids. Like, I'm not even joking. It was a scary thing for me. And that was something that I would never forget because I was like, I have to figure out how do we change these students' mindsets to know that it's not okay to fight your brothers and sisters. Because at the end of the day, we are all the same. It was all Black students in that classroom. And for us to think it's okay to fight another child that looks like us, I mean, fight another child, period. But someone that's supposed to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper, like it just didn't make sense to me. I could be here all day talking my stories, but I'm just going to tell y'all one more. The last one is I came to do an observation in a classroom and a student asked to go to the bathroom. And so teacher let him go to the bathroom. Nobody thought nothing twice about it. And like three minutes later, we literally see this boy running, like getting chased by security, running past the window. He's outside and security like, you know, was going through the bushes trying to get him everything. Kind of find out he robbed a boy in the hallway that he was trying to rob for a long time and, you know, robbed him and ran off with his money. And so these are all prime examples of behavioral challenges that I've experienced in black and brown students at urban settings. So when you keep hearing me fighting for making sure SEL is the focus and many alternative and juvenile justice environments, it's because I know the importance, and I know how important these skills are for these students. So here are some ways that I have found it helpful to address challenging behaviors in the classroom. It always boils down to the why, and the why on two parts. Why is a child acting out, and why do you do what you do? And I'm talking about you, the educator. Why are you teaching? 
Sometimes we need to be reminded of our why we do what we do. So I remember in 2018, I went to a colleague of mine and cried my little eyes out because I was like, I'm giving up on my SEL research in these alternative environments and juvenile justice because I am tired, okay? Sis was tired. I was like literally exhausted and burnt out. My data was just like kids were in and out. I just, it was so much. It's so much for me. I can't even talk about all of it right now, but it was like really, really, really hard. And I was remembering a white person came up to me with the program. And this is a several actually white people came up to me with uh, programs at SEL and said, uh, asked me, how do you get into these alternative schools? And I looked at them and I said, because the principals trust me. I'm not coming in here to just collect data and use it against Black people, but I'm coming in here to see growth, change, and impact. I wanted to look at them and answer, because I'm Black too. You know what I'm saying? Because it's harmful. A lot of times people do go into, you know, alternative environments, juvenile justice, just to test these kids. They're not going in to figure out a solution. They're going in to test these kids and put this information online. And it's harmful because they allow our kids to be these walk-in statistics. So even though it was hard, And it's still hard for me some days, but I had to remember my why. I remember when I was sitting with my colleague and I was crying, he looked at me, he said, Kristen, this is your lane. Whether nobody decides to go in this lane or not, you were designed, you were created. This was your assignment. God didn't want you to just do like comprehensive schools like everybody else. Because if he did, you would have been doing it. But he specifically brought you to schools where kids were struggling and you saw the need of SEL in these type of environments. So my why is because I was that child that couldn't manage my thoughts and my emotions and didn't know how to express myself. So I needed a class like DOM growing up. And I felt like it was my responsibility to give that to other kids. So we must do that as educators. Understand and start with why. I'm going to drop the link in the show notes for a diagram of why, because it's the golden circle and it's about the why, how, and the Are you an educator, parent, young professional, or community leader? Well, our Black SEL Summit is for you. Black SEL is a summit that looks to reach, teach, and build a system of strong Black leaders that understand the importance of social and emotional learning and ways to expose and sustain SEL in Black communities. Black SEL will highlight and elevate the educators and voices of African American people in the social and emotional learning field. We are looking to create healthy dialogue around policy and ways to expose social emotional learning to surrounding communities and its key stakeholders. Social and emotional learning will not be a trend in the Black communities, but yet we will make this a sustainable tool to advance and heal us one community at a time. This summit will take place on September 30th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. right in Durham, North Carolina, and then our awards banquet starting at 7 p.m. Early bird tickets are on sale right now for only $150. Grab them now. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I love this podcast, but I wish they would talk about some more relevant things that's on my mind. Well, here's your chance to let your voice be heard and be rewarded for sharing. In our show notes, there's a link to a short five-minute survey that we would love for you to fill out. 
This survey not only helps you get more of the content you want by completing it, but it also allows you to be entered into win some free Black SEL swag. That's right. We're giving away our signature Black SEL t-shirts, but only to those who complete the survey. So pause this episode and run over to the link in our show notes to get rewarded for your time and opinion. Let your voice be heard. Do you believe in social and emotional learning and its benefits for our Black communities? If so, join our Black SEO Collective, an exclusive group of SEO experts, community leaders, educators, and parents that share resources on SEL and new practices to sustain this work in Black communities. Also, by being a part of this membership, you can have the opportunity to have first reviews of your work to showcase at our upcoming Black SEL Summit. For more information, visit blackseo.org. Now before it's too late. Proceeds generated for ticket sales will help build the capacity of the Dangers of the My Education Fund. For more information, click the link in the show notes or go to blackseo.org to learn all about our conference and see the full itinerary there. We can't wait to see you. So why do you do what you do? Once you ask yourself why and have that answer, then you should be able to address behavioral issues while managing your emotions. Yelling at a child could potentially harm and bring trauma to a child even the more. So we really have to model regulating our emotions so that our children can do the same. You know, I talked to a teacher the other day and she got really frustrated with a child and she started yelling. And I get it. You know, it happens. We yell. And we talk about this on our Let's Talk More SEL forums as well with parents. Children, it's like a monkey see, monkey do thing. Children They model what they see. And so if you are yelling at them and they think that that's how you're supposed to respond to situations, they're going to respond and yell right back at you. The same thing at the home. If you're yelling at a child in the home, go to bed, do your laundry, do your dishes, all those things. When a child gets mad, they're going to automatically raise their voice because they associate yelling with the norm. You know, when I was growing up, My mother used to be like, go clean your room. And I would associate that with the norm. Like if she didn't yell, I wasn't moving. Like I might be sitting on the couch and she's like, Kristen, go do your homework. And I'll be sitting on the couch, like watching TV. She's like, Kristen, go do your homework. And she would give me so many mornings. And then she's like, Kristen, I'm going to get a switch. You better go do your homework. And now I'm over here running and doing it. But where do we get that from in the black culture that we had to associate yelling with the norm of like getting up and actually responding? And so that's really something that I want us to realize when we're teaching our children, because it's very harmful. And one of the things also that I realized in environments with white teachers who teach black students, one of the things that a woman told me, she said, I don't know why my students yell all the time. And the little girl, I was talking to the little girl, and she said, I've been getting kicked out of the Miss So-and-so class like every other day. Da, da. And it was because the woman didn't realize that in the black culture, we yell. It's not like, and the girl wasn't being like rude. She was like, you know, you know how you do like, yes, you know, like talk with your hands. Like I talk with my hands. Like y'all saw me. I'm always like talking with my hands. It's hard for me right now not to talk with my hands, but I'm always talking with my hands because it's how I express myself. And I don't know if that's a black thing. I feel like it is. You know, I feel like there's a lot of black people to talk with our hands. I don't know why that is. I might need to look up the research on what that does for us, but it's a form of expression. And we could be very dramatic in expression, you know, at times. I I know that my whole family is like, you know, we're not dramatic folks, but we like to have a good time. And you're going to know that, you know, we're going to have y'all laughing and joking and it's just community. 
But the woman did not know that. So she took it as an offense and she would continue kicking the girl out of class because she was like yelling, but she wasn't yelling in a way that she was trying to start an argument. She was yelling in a way that she was just excited about the learning or, oh my God, no, that doesn't make sense. And she's not saying that woman doesn't make sense. She's like, why doesn't this make sense? Like, you know, she's trying to learn. And so there's different type of cultural things that is really important for you to understand about children. And this is what leads us into our next tool that I want you guys to use is understanding the patterns of your children. Do you understand the algorithm of your children? I'm talking about the backgrounds and the demographics and the culture and what they eat. You know, one of the unique offerings of my company that many providers won't do is understand the needs of your kids by pulling in fractions. My company pulls in fractions and assesses the data of students that have been having behavioral challenges because this way you are ahead of the game. You know that child's pattern. You don't label that child off of that infraction, but you do begin to think of proactive ways to help that child if you see it forming the pattern that they have. So for example, if you know Shayna is constantly kicked out of class for talking, allow Shayna to lead an activity because she is a good speaker. She may never even know she's a good speaker or could speak in front of the class, but give her the opportunity. Another example would be Jerome is always getting kicked out of class for his temper. When the class starts, do an emotional temperature check-in and make sure everyone shares their mood before class and why. This gives you some context to everyone's mood. And if your lesson could be a bit more culturally responsive or upbeat to keep the children engaged, Or if you see somebody that's having a great day in a great mood, you can utilize that child to make them a leader in the class. These are all ways that you can engage students more and you can understand the pattern of a child's learning, but also be able to truly care. And when you truly care, you can create proactive ways to address challenges, behavioral challenges at that before the challenge arises. Number three, this allows autonomy to form. When we understand the patterns of a child, we're able to build healthy relationships with the child. And then we should be able to give a child a little bit more say so because we want to know what that child is thinking and we want to give them opinions to actually say what they're thinking out loud. I've walked into so many classrooms where there are rules on the board or class norms up. And guess what? The class ain't have a not a no say near in the norms. Okay, not a no say near. Yes, I said that. The class didn't have no input in those classroom norms. So what do you expect me to do if I come into your classroom and you tell me these are the rules and you don't even know me, you don't know nothing about me, you haven't even tried to establish a relation with me, but you already telling me what I got to do in your classroom? You got to understand many of the schools that I've worked in that are in alternative environments. First of all, these kids have big trust issues. They are walking in the room, not even trusting you on site because a lot of people have already let them down in their life. So when you stop and say, welcome to my class, before we begin, I want to know what classroom norms you would like to see in this classroom. What this does is this gives students autonomy. It gives them a choice. It makes them feel like they're a part. It gives them an idea of what this class may look like. And then when they create these norms, what it does is it allows you to recreate these norms back on them, push these norms back on them and say, you created these norms. So if you're not following the class rules, you don't want to create them. So there'll be some new class rules. This is the same thing that we do with our kids when we talk about their core values. One of my kids said, my core value is respect. I was like, that's what's up. 
And when you see that child not being respectful and they're talking over you, you be like, okay, respect. What's up? You remind them of their core value. You told me this. I didn't tell you that that was your core value. You instill these things in students. This is what addresses behavioral challenges before it even arises because you're reminding a child of what they said. I remember back in the day, and I always tell my students this, your word is your bond. If you tell me you're going to do something, you better come through because this is the type of person I am. If I tell you I'm going to do something, you better know that I'm going to be there and I'm going to do it and I'm going to show up. You know, for a long time, I had FOMO, y'all, because I was like, oh my God, I told someone so I'm showing up, so I got to show up. And I started realizing, like, okay, Christine, got to calm down. Like, just communicate. Tell the person you can't come. But I never like to like just totally disregard and not come to things because it really is important to me that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Same thing with children. Let them know that this is what you said and hold them accountable to that. But if you don't hold them accountable, how would they ever know? And then also what it shows them is that you've actually been listening to them. So some might have not thought that you was listening to their respect core value. And then when you say, okay, respect, they're like, oh, snap, she was listening. It makes them feel good. Whether a child wants to admit it or not, it makes them feel good. And they start respecting you. And then the relationship form. A lot of the times the kids act out and they have behavioral challenges because they have no respect for you or the teacher that's involved in the situation, nor the administration. They don't even like the school that they're in. They don't even like coming to school. And so when we cultivate spaces of trust, transparency, genuine and authentic relationships, these are ways that we address behavioral challenges before they arise simply by being our authentic selves and taking time to understand what children really need. Lastly, remember to pull children aside and talk to them versus just calling them out in front of the class. I've seen children completely shut down from building relationships with any staff after this point. And a simple hug makes a child's world different. I remember when I was sitting in the classroom, when I was still teaching, you know, still teaching my curriculum and I seen kids come in and I say, you know, what? I'm going to try something different today. So I stood by the door and I gave every single child a hug as they walked in. These children were so confused. They didn't even know what to do. Like it was like I never seen children not know how to give a hug back to somebody. And I was giving them hugs. And then I asked them when they all sat down, I said, how do y'all feel? And like the boys was like, I don't know, I feel like tingly inside. This was kind of weird, you know, like I haven't got a hug in a long time. One boy told me I haven't got a hug in a year. A year? Like these are the simplest things. We might be overthinking it sometimes. The simplest thing is to give somebody a hug and know you care because a child will stop. If they respect you, they will hold on doing something disrespectful if they truly respect you and they feel like they have a relationship with you. I've seen this happen. Relationship skills are the prime, the prime social emotional skill that you need to have when addressing behavioral challenges in the classroom. I hope you use these skills moving forward and apply them with consistency. And that wraps up another Dangers of the Mind episode. Click the link in the show notes to download and reference three ways to address behavioral challenges in the classroom. Don't forget to rate and write a review. As always, keep dominating. This episode is brought to you by BlackSEO.org. What does your home environment look like? Would you consider it a busy home, a loving home, an angry home, a struggling home, or all of the above? Join us as we discuss the power of social emotional learning in Black homes and communities. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and register. Remember, seats are limited, so act fast.